0: Welcome to How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan lists and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and more, so you can easily add content from your other online profiles, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Plans start at just $8.29 a month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams podcast listeners can go to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code SUSTAINABLE to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code SUSTAINABLE, caps, no caps, it all works for the promo code. I just want to say on a personal level, I've known the Banzoogle team for a long time. They are great humans. They are always working super hard. And I run into them in non-pandemic times at conferences. I run into them in pandemic times at conferences. They're always networking. They're always connecting. And they're always on top of updating their platform for you to make sure they are integrating with everyone. I also personally love how they have their mailing list tools integrated as that is really the foundation of building a sustainable music career and a huge element of what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. So head over to bandzoogle.com and use the promo code sustainable for 15% off the first year of any subscription. And today we are going to dig into chapter two, which is called pre-recording marketing foundation, email list, text message club, and social media. And what we're talking about here, you know, you just heard from Justin Vernon from Bonavere, really bringing to life, you know, uh, when when he's, you know, I've been asked, I'll ask this throughout the podcast, but when artists are really ripe, really ready to record, you know, putting the art first and and not forcing it. Um, so, not to torture you further, but before you start recording, I still want you to set marketing foundation. So those elements are in place. So when you're done making your masterpiece, then you have platforms to share it uh, with the world and with everyone. So there's no one else, in, there's no one else on this planet I could think of uh, that I wanted more for this episode than uh, today's guest. I'm so thrilled to introduce Arielle Hyatt. Welcome, Arielle.
1: Thank you. I'm so honored to be included.
0: Yes, my my absolute pleasure. Um first, how are you doing? Because I haven't really talked to you since before the pandemic.
1: I am doing really well, all things considered. I have hightailed it out of New York City and now live in western Massachusetts in the Berkshires. And I have a baby, so I've been pretty quiet. And away from the crazy that is New York City right now
0: it's kind of quiet right now but not as quiet as the Berkshires that's right, right. <laughs> exactly amazing well I know you've you've shared this many times but um, tell us about your background and and how you got start building your phenomenal career.
1: My background is I grew up in New York City and very early on, had two passions: one was fashion, and one was music. After four years of super hardcore interning and paid internships in the high fashion world, I realized that was not going to do it for me, and dove headfirst in to a lot of internships, which is why I love your first book. And I got the dose of humble pie where I had my college degree, my, my liberal arts degree, and I was unemployable in the record industry. And so basically for the last 25 years, I have made up my own career in the music business by never giving up and being a constant student of how to help artists get ahead, which is my passion. And that's it in a nutshell.
0: I mean, that's the way to do it. I I have um, two, I I don't say this lightly, two ridiculously qualified colleagues who have been applying for jobs lately. And like, I would find a super high up and put in a good, and these are women that have done like just powerhouse phenomenal things. And one of, I'll just, I'll just be open about this. One of them was our COO and I voted all year. And so I was doing all those things. She's applying for jobs. You know, I'm putting in a good word. Other people are putting in good word. Long story short, she just got a job with our webcasting partner, Mandolin, because they saw her work. It was show, not tell. So I think you're exactly right. Just constantly, um, yeah, just constantly figuring it out as opposed to like, oh, here's a job posting. I'm going to go apply.
1: Yeah. And I mean, especially if you're trying to be in the music business, this is a business where there are a hundred asses for every seat, right? Um, and so it's really challenging, even for like you said, like high end colleagues and friends that you know don't survive layoffs and changes. It's 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 a quandary. So if you have the moxie and the wherewithal, and it's your kind of thing to be uh, entrepreneurial, which is was really what your book is also about. Um planning is everything and understanding how to do what we're about to talk about in this chapter is the way to survive in any position whether you're on the artist side of the house or the industry side of the house
0: exactly um so let's let's start at um what you and I would consider the basics but tell us about the power of email you know, email lists, uh, collecting emails from fans?
1: No one really could say it better than you having a front row seat to watching Amanda Palmer. But for anyone who doesn't know that story, the brief summary is they collected emails as if their lives depended on it. And when you can have that mindset and when you can do that, and there's many artists that we have examples of that have done it and have done it well. What I see, especially now that we're sitting years outside of what the halo effect of having a large mailing list does, the the one of the many uh, things that happened for Amanda Palmer is she managed to raise $1 million in her crowdfunding campaign. Um, And there's examples like this that are not as grandiose, but are just as important to understand. Your mailing list is yours. Facebook is not yours. Instagram is not yours. TikTok is not yours. None of that stuff is yours. Your mailing list is yours. Your mailing list is the only place where you can ask for money, ask for sales, ask for anything and get it, period. So... The thing that amazes me is that artists still violently resist (laughs) building mailing lists and using them well. Um, I think we've gotten into this overwhelm with email, which is why I'm so excited that you've also included text messaging in this conversation. And you can't blame any of us. I mean, I've spent the last several weeks just trying to unsubscribe from the redonkulous amount of email lists that I've been added to. And it it can be really stressful. However, there is an incredible silver lining in having a mailing list in understanding how to communicate with it well and in nurturing it and taking care of it. Like it's a baby kitten and never letting it out of your sight. It's really important to consistently visit and revisit what is working with your mailing list and, um, to be, to be mindful about how you're communicating when you're communicating and what you're communicating.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. I, I mean, this podcast is audio only for a, a variety of reasons, but I did have like the biggest grin on my face when you compared it to looking after a baby kitten. <laughs> so uh that's amazing. And you know, just to highlight the the Amanda Dresden doll's example, like, um, you know, you know, you basically said this, but on one hand, you could barely say hi to us like at the merch table. I did merch for the band for a long time when I was younger, um, without us saying, Will you sign up for your email list? Um but I would say this in front of, uh, sign up for our email list. I would, um, I would say this in front of Amanda. That came out of, and again, this is 2002. So this is before like everybody's talking about email lists at conferences and stuff. Like, that came out of paranoia because the whole point of what Ariel and I are talking about is going direct to the audience. And so Amanda and the band, they were a local band on the rise, but they were starting to a- assemble a team. And so she said to me one day out of paranoia, like, well, what if you go away? What if my fancy booking agent goes away? What if my attorney goes away? What if the merch company goes away? This is all I have to communicate my music and shows to the audience. So it was, um, yeah, it came out of paranoia, but it was, it was brilliant for sure.
1: Um, and I mean, one thing I do also want to say quickly before we dive more into, because I think a lot of times we just talk about like, okay, this is your mailing list and this is what you have to do. And this is how often you have to send it. And like, none of that is rocket science, right? You could, you could Google right now. How do I send an effective newsletter email? How do I build a list? There's, there's a hundred right answers to this question. However, the thing that i know stops most artists from actually really doing this is your terrible relationship to to self promotion a making money and getting into that starving artist mentality b and c you are correct in your uncomfortable feeling around your mailing list that you're that that comes up for you because your newsletter, your mailing list, whatever you want to call it, your email, is sales. And so many artists hate sales and hate selling and would rather chop their arm off than, you know, even get in front of an audience and say, hi, I have merch at the merch table back there. Would you be interested in buying a t-shirt? I don't know if there's a, a, a nicer way to frame it, but understand that... That is one of the purposes of your mailing list is to generate money and sales. And if you've got some sort of weird, scared thing around asking for money, making money, having money, or profiting from your art and your music, that is probably a major culprit as to why your newsletter list is a mess.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify Agreed. And we're gonna talk about pre-order stuff in a second. And I feel like it's very relevant to that. The only idea I had that, that's such an interesting perspective that when artists are turned off from email lists, like it's because it's a, a sales thing. And and I get that. But so then my brain is just like, okay, well then if 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 that is really what is holding you back, then send a mailer being like anyone who buys anything off this mailer, it's all going to charity. Like whatever you gotta do <laughs> to get your head around. Um, you know, connecting with your audience that way. But you talked about text message collection, which is becoming very common as well. So tell us your thoughts on that.
1: Obviously the small screen in your pocket is the one that is the one that captivates all of us, right? Half of us cannot move from room to room in our own homes without bringing our bloody phones, the feeling of panic that ensues when you think you've lost or misplaced your cell phone. Think about that. That's really powerful. Have you panicked when you thought you maybe misplaced your Gmail? You haven't. So the thing that is what we know about text messaging is it is more likely to be seen than emails, more likely to be responded to than emails, more likely to be in people's faces more than emails. And so a really good consideration is can putting putting that into your 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 marketing toolbox getting a text message list together and communicating with your fans right there on the small screen.
0: Yeah, and just to back up, I mean, I say this stuff in speaking engagements all the time. I'm constantly trying to drill it into students' brains, but You know, technology companies are the most valuable companies in the world. Um, Why? Because they have all our data. And so for us as uh, musicians and music industry people, we have no problem giving away that fan, you know, the fan email address, the fan location, the fan uh, mobile phone number to Spotify, to Facebook, to Apple, to pretty much anyone who's not the artist. So that's what we're getting at here is communicating directly with your fans via email, via text me- message. And again, like the only the only chapter in this book that Arielle and I's beloved um, attorney, we, we have the same attorney, Joyce Dollinger, the only chapter Joyce didn't have feedback on was the marketing chapter. So my point is, is like, We're going to give you plenty of tools to market with. But the whole point of that is to connect with your audience, which is what we are talking about here. So you can skip a lot of that, dare I say, bullshit and just go direct. Like to me, that is what building a sustainable music career is, which isn't really a question. It's more of a statement. Yeah, exactly. Um, One thing I will say, um, and I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing out there is, Some artists love the email list and are like, oh, you know, collecting mobile phone numbers I'm not comfortable with that. And then other artists love the text club list, but are turned off by the email list. But it's not like, I, I hate to generalize, but one might think like, oh, older artists like the email list and younger artists like the text. I'm seeing the opposite. I'm seeing all over the place. So what are you, are you seeing anyone embrace both? How about that?
1: I am. I am because, you know, the old adage, feed them where you want, where they want to eat is real. I mean, that's why being on all the social channels is important and why anyone that's preaching about social media will tell you that you can't just put, I remember in early days of socials, people felt really smart, like, oh, I just post on one thing. And then I cross post all the channels. And it's like, no, (laughs) that actually is a terrible way of communicating marketing, because unfortunately, you need a different thing on each channel, because a different thing is effective on each on other on channels. So you know, the person that you work with, I mean, who checks their email endlessly and has like a BlackBerry and a cell phone, they might be, you know, much more likely to open their emails than someone who's maybe a little younger and they do all their, all of their communication uh, with their thumbs in a scrolling fashion. So if you have a diverse, that being said, that could be this, you know, the same community of fans, I don't think there's an age thing. Some people are more into doing things in their inboxes and, and getting communications that way. And it's funny, I was just having a conversation with Jamie on my team. She's my VP here at CyberPR. And she has um, had a really hard year and she's lost her mom and it's just been tough. And she decided that social media was not making her feel great. So she's taken a break from social media. And the one thing that has really been upsetting to her is she has been missing out on a lot of her favorite band's releases because they're communicating with text messaging and with socials and Mm -hmm. not on email. So I think, I think we should, be really sensitive about this too, from just a mental health standpoint, that people go on and off of social media and may not always be connected to their phones and might take a break, but those same people might have a job and be checking their email. So that's yet another reason to realize that the same person throughout a journey, which you're on a journey with them as, as their artist and they're your fan to be sensitive as to where they might actually want to get information is, is really important.
0: I love that. And as someone, so Zoe Keating has preached this for a while. Um, I just changed my setting on Twitter where I see tweets in real time, as opposed to, you know, the algorithm and the most, really the most sensational, sensationalized tweets. And I could just feel my nervous system uh, relaxing um, cause it's nice to see like what people are saying instead of like, oh my gosh, the world is ending, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, you're exactly right. I had never even thought about it from that perspective. It's just, um, yeah, I, I would, <laughs> I would quit social media in a second, but I didn't have to be on it for work and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So that's a really great point. Um, what email, if, if you're able to share this, what email list and text message platforms do you like?
1: So it really depends on what your marketing objectives are. We tend to it, to tell most of our clients who are you know, just getting their, their sea legs with, with getting their email back and inspired to use MailChimp because we like it. We like that you can do drip campaigns. We like that you can segment your list. That is not everybody's favorite email um, choice. Some of our artists are on ConvertKit which is, um, a really easy builder. However, it is a little bit more expensive. So it depends on how much money, time, and effort you want to, uh, be investing. You just want to make sure that you can do all the bells and whistles on your, on your email. As far as text messaging, We have a couple of artists that have started and are just using good old WhatsApp, which of course is owned by Facebook, so it might not be ideal, and I don't really know. I think you can only have 256, um, which is a funny number, people on your WhatsApp group. So if you've got like a giant text messaging list, obviously... WhatsApp is not a great solution if you have over 250 people. We like Slick Text very much, and we do have a couple of more high-end clients that are using Superphone. And again, Superphone.io is expensive but has a lot of the great bells and whistles that you know you can use as far as like getting people to opt in and sending stuff. What are you using with your clients, em?
0: That's great. I, I, I agree with you on like everything you're saying. Um, we also recommend MailChimp to get started because as you know, it's free up to 2,000 subscribers. Um, I do like FanBridge after that uh, for what it's worth. I've always had, you know, when you have more than 2,000 subscribers, um, I've never had an intern or someone not be able to do a mailer with FanBridge. Um, mm-hmm. So that's great. And then, yeah, I, I feel like text message club world is still kind of the wild, wild west. Um, we I know this stuff is literally changing every day, but um, we took a look and examined you know, what made sense for a pro sports team I was managing last year. We used Textedly, um, but I interviewed an artist for a forthcoming episode uh, who's been loving Superphone. Um, so yeah, so those names are coming up a lot and I, and I know the space is just going to continue to evolve and grow, but definitely, I would say definitely move off of WhatsApp. That's right. I mean, your point about Facebook is excellent.
1: Yeah, but it is a good place. Look, if you're looking to be, it's free and you want to start somewhere, um, that's probably better than just a group text <laughs> on your iPhone. So, so take, take that for, for what that is.
0: Well, and your own privacy, right? Like, you be know, yes. giving yeah. out your personal number.
1: Right, that's um, true. You are giving out your personal number if you're using WhatsApp for sure.
0: Yes. By the side note, I just deleted my WhatsApp as an individual and human being. I'm like, there's enough ways to get in touch with me. Like that. And once in a while, someone's like, you're not on your. Th-. I'm like, you. There's. I got enough numbers. It's fine. Yep. Um. Okay, so you talked about. Okay, so I also talk about in this chapter. Um you know, laying one social media foundation. I'm sure you and I both rarely meet people. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Laying a social media foundation. Now. Yes. That is, that's a, that's a whole episode in in and of itself, but let's suffice it to say this. You have to be using social media and you have to be considering that only Scouting, marketing, and your music and promoting clearly isn't going to be something that appeals to people. And to do it well, you must be consistent. So I know moments ago I just said you have to be everywhere and you have to have a strategic and special strategy for each platform, which is true. But for those of you who are feeling social media overwhelm or just can't deal with all the channels, what we do when clients come to us for marketing plans and they're in that kind of my brain is exploding from social media meltdown, we say this, the first channel to focus on is your newsletter. When that house is in order and you've got that going, go to the first channel, not that you like the most, but that is proven to be most effective for you. So what's been predictable for a lot of my clients is they love Instagram because all artists love Instagram because it's visual. It's easy. You pop things on there. It's just, it's more user-friendly. The president has ruined Twitter. Facebook is for old people. Nobody likes Zuckerberg, even though remember he owns (laughs) Instagram. So, you know, there's all these reasons why people don't want to use certain channels, but do one well and do the one well where you know you have the most fans and the most interaction. So look at your analytics before you begin to relay down your foundation. If you're looking at your foundation again, that's my best advice. And then obviously um, post on all your channels and post often and post well and choose some themes so that you're not only talking about your music
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSC. Okay, so I'm an artist and Snapchat sounds like torture to me. Do I have to be on it? No. Okay. And what about TikTok?
1: No. Here's the thing like, you don't, if it feels like torture, don't. Do it. This is the other thing that like cracks me up is that yes, TikTok might be the thing where we're reading about artist discovery in 2020, but listen to the tracks that are getting discovered and look at who the fans are if your fans are 15 year old girls in bikini tops that want to make dances, which are not really dances, it's waving your hands back and forth. And you think that's your ideal fan. TikTok might very well be the platform for you. And I say that, um, tongue in cheek, please, uh, don't, don't get me the wrong way here. This is, this is when video is better than audio. But I mean, I remember when I first, um, first saw Snapchat, I, didn't understand how to even make it work. Cause I'm a, I'm a person over the age of a certain age. And I was like, help <laughs> my old. To
0: interrupt. That was the first social network that happened to me where I'm like, Oh, I'm too old for this. I yeah. get this.
1: Yep. yep. Did you, um, I don't know if you saw the movie, um, wine country, which is hilarious. No, but I'd like to, there is a very, very funny scene where one of the women has been fired from her giant social media marketing job. Cause she couldn't use Snapchat. And it was, I, I, lay on the floor laughing because it's all about women in their forties. So anyway, um, you don't have to use it if it freaks you out. You you should use it if it feels like the right demographic and the right kind of music that fits in your zeitgeist is there. And if you like it, if you're into making – I mean, my friends that send me um, TikTok videos, some of them are hilarious and creative and funny. And if that's your vibe and you can pull that off, then that very well might be the channel for you.
0: Exactly. And you know it was so interesting. Um, I mean, it's it's different everywhere because I was teaching um, at NYU. A year ago. um, And the students asked me what I thought about TikTok. And these are undergrads. And I was like, well, what do you all think? You're like 19. Like you tell me. And um, the the American student's response was like, it's for my younger sibling. You know, it was for like 12 and 13 year olds. So the college kids were too cool. But then the students from China were like, in China, where it's from, obviously, um, they're like, all our parents are into it. It's super lame. You know, so you're exactly right. It's just like, go where your fans are then uh, look, you and I are all about authenticity with this stuff. And so if you're forcing yourself to be on Snapchat, then it's probably not going to connect with people.
1: Right. Exactly. And so, and you're not going to want to do it if you feel like you're taking your medicine every time you 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 go on it. Like that's that's
0: not helpful. Exactly. But the main thing I'm talking about here, which on one hand, I feel like we rarely see is like, if you don't have you know, your social media platforms in place and it sounds, well, we're talking about, you know, what, you know, where you're performing well, you know, where the fans are, you know, for your music, um, you know, what works for you. Like to me, that's, it feels like all artists at least need to be on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, great. So yeah. So what I'm talking about here, and again, I rarely see this and I'm sure it's the case with you is like, okay, Chapter one is get your art together. You have your songs. You have your plan. But I'm I'm just saying, like, set up, you know, your social media account. Like, maybe it's a new project, right? Maybe it's a new band, whatever. Just get that stuff in place. Get your email list in place. Get your text club in place because you're going to be so excited when you come out of the studio. Um, You know, you need these channels to share with people, which we'll get into. But the other thing I'm suggesting, which I'm going to use the word hate, most artists hate, is if you do feel moved to connect at any point while you're in the studio, which could be just like a teaser photo of like a drum set or something. It's like you don't have to be like, damn, this is a new band. Like I have to set up a new thing. So um, I guess my point is any thoughts on engaging with fans during the recording process?
1: Yes, it's a very fruitful time to engage with your fans. Now, of course, it takes a little bit of thinking because when you're in your recording process, you might not be thinking of, you know, how can I share this with the world because it's private and it's intimate. But what you absolutely should be doing is Running your iPhone in your studio, recording some moments, even if you can you know get some a friend to come and, and shoot while you're recording. I think all of that um, is important and valuable so that when you're going to lead into the marketing of the forthcoming thing that you are recording, you actually have some behind the scenes footage. And to, to go into the studio, if you are going into a studio with an objective eye can be difficult. So bringing someone, which is a little bit hard. I know a lot of us just make music in our bedrooms or kitchens or houses somewhere, but just look around and think, okay, what could I take a quick video of if I've got my recording, um, my recording software open, could I grab some some screenshots of what my computer looks like, or can I take a photo of me um at the vo- in the vocal booth, even if you made the vocal booth and it's in your kitchen and it's you know it's it's possible so you you should absolutely be capturing the journey of creating the music. I think also fans love a peep behind the hood, so thinking about. What stories can I tell about each song? You know, who is playing on it? Who is producing it? What was the inspiration? Why did you write it? All of those things are interesting and can become fodder for your newsletter, for your texts, for your social media. And so the creation of the song, the story behind the song, who collaborated with you, all of those things become more pieces for you to use when marketing. So you absolutely do want to take fans on a journey of the creation of the song. I often think back to an artist that we represented. um, And I can't believe I don't remember his name right now, but we were helping him with his social media and we were helping him, you know, create interesting posts around the recording and creation of his music. And there was a throwaway post that he almost didn't share with us. And it was his waste paper basket of the lyrics that he was writing one day. He kept crumpling up pieces of paper and throwing them at the garbage bin. And so the photo was just a garbage can with like a ton of crumpled up pieces of paper. And that ended up being his most commented on photograph of the year because he wrote a really poignant caption with it about songwriting was not easy. And sometimes the lyrics don't just come to you. And here I am on my 33rd draft of this track. And he told the honest story about it, which is sometimes better than a cute filter of yourself looking hot at the recording booth, you know, so Just thinking about how can you take your fans on a journey, even if it's to the trash can, that can be really poignant for your for your fan base.
0: Wow, I love that, and if you are setting up a vocal booth in your kitchen, that sounds like social media gold to me as well so um all good stuff. so one thing I talk about in this book um is monetizing from day one. um I don't know if we quite like. Say it like that enough. Uh, I did that with this book. Um, I put up a pre order when I was halfway done writing it, um, thinking, like, okay, I'm halfway, like, I'll definitely finish this. And we were able to recoup this book before its release. So I think that's also a mentality to think about. Like, if you are spending money, you know, on recording, it's like, can you recoup before release? So um, I actually don't use the crowdfunding word in this book, I kind of call it sustainable pre-orders, but um yeah, you don't have to teach us how to build a um, you know, a crowdfunding campaign right now. But what are when should someone crowdfund? What are some basic best practices to work with Kickstarter, Indiegogo, all of that? Sure.
1: So the first thing is you have to have a mailing list just looking and going, okay, I've got 10,000 followers or 50,000 followers on my Facebook and I've got X amount of people. And that, if, if, you know, I've seen this time and time again that artists come to me and say, if I have, I'm making up a number, 50,000 followers across all my social channels and 5% of all those people give me money, yay, guess what? They're not going to do that just from posting on socials. Social media is the, the jumper cable The the email newsletter is the car. So the first thing you want to do if you are crowdfunding is spend a good amount of time making sure that every single human being that you can think of, your aunt, your mother, your cat, all your best friends, and all the fans who maybe comment often on your social channels who are not yet on your mailing list, are on your mailing list before your campaign launches. You want to plan out the 30 days. What I talk about in my book, Crowdstart, is it's human nature to have crisis happen to people. My teacher uh, and my sort of business guru who taught me how to change my mindset said something very powerful um, to his students, which was the average human experiences three to four enormous setbacks per year. That could be your health, you lose a job, you have a child that has something happening, a parent needs you, you move, the world gets COVID and someone that you know gets affected, whatever. So chances are that during your 30-day crowdfunding, something bad could happen. If you are deeply prepared and you've got your 30 days of email newsletters planned out, if you've got your 30 days of social posting, if you've got it all together, the chances of being successful are incredibly working in your favor if you have planned. Also, I would advise not to launch a crowdfunding campaign, obviously during the holidays. Do not launch a crowdfunding campaign while everybody is on on vacation or sending their kids back to school, like end of August, not a good time. So you do want to be mindful about when are you launching? You want to be reasonable in what you're asking for. $100,000 might feel like a great amount of money, but (laughs) if you put a spreadsheet together and you wrote down on it, okay, Emily White, I've known her for X amount of years. She'd probably give me 50 bucks. And you did that. Like- all the way down a spreadsheet and you tried to predict how much money do you think you could actually earn your chances of being successful at the end of a 30 day campaign also exponentially higher
0: i mean just amazing and yeah and i would say like only maybe that sounds obvious but like only do a campaign like that like if you definitely need the money um like you know as opposed to like you said like oh cool 100 grand would be great like we're about to launch one, um, launch a Kickstarter for I voted. Um, this episode will air after all these things happen, but we're recording this in December. We just announced I voted Georgia. Um, craft services are awesome. Um, they approached us and said we want to do a Kickstarter campaign for you. I was like, great, go do that. But it's been interesting to teach like our team because we have a lot of students on the team. You know, just reminding them um, creative rewards, digital rewards, like one thing. I wasn't involved with Amanda's actual Kickstarter campaign. I was involved with like the 10 years before that, like you said, like building the email list. But one thing that she was really open about was I think they were like mailing like custom like stone statues and stuff. And and so that million dollars actually got chipped away pretty quickly. So just, you know, keep in mind the fulfillment um, and and if you really need it, because again, the other thing you can do, which is what I did for this book and, you know, artists do all the time is launch a pre-order. There's an artist named Kala that I've talked about, C-U-L-L-A-H. I guess this is only chapter two, but that I will talk about throughout this episode. This is a local Milwaukee artist that I met through I Voted. Um, He releases an album every year. He just launched the fundraiser for his album through his website. Um, So he doesn't, you know, there is a goal, but, you know, with Kickstarter, you have to hit the goal. I'm jumping around a little bit. My point is, is like, I think you should be monetizing your music. Um from day one. And again, I did that with this book and like people are, you know, this book's been out coming up on a year and people are still buying those high-end packages. So any thoughts on, on building a pre-order?
1: Again, (laughs) your newsletter list is where that is going to happen. I think that something happens with a lot of artists that they don't realize that fans may not be aware of just how little money you actually get from Spotify and from all these DSPs. I think educating your fans during your pre-save campaign is a smart thing to do. Mm. We have an artist named Lo Marie from Madison.
0: Oh, sorry, she just, um Lo Marie just played "I Voted." Shout she, out to Lufthansa.
1: She's totally amazing. I love her. You know, she did something very cool where she asks the audience, not every show, but once in a while. You know, how much money do you think I make from Spotify? And this is a, an artist that that works consistently and plays out. Well, not as much now because of the pandemic, but this is a, a working artist who plays the majority of her or her, her money comes from live shows. But when we did her strategy and her marketing plan with her, there was a huge issue in her capturing of the emails because she had all these like standing gigs so she started getting really smart about this and she started just asking her fan base, like, Hey, how much money do you think I make, you know, from Spotify? Just shout it out. Cause she plays a lot of like, you know, bars and clubs and places where you can have conversations with your audience. Totally. And people were shouting about like 10,000 a year, 5,000 a year. And she was oh like, "Well, oh, actually it's like a hundred dollars a year and, or less. And, and her fans were shocked to hear this news. So, educating your fan about not only to make enticing and interesting things during your your campaign but to also explain like hey the five dollars that you're gonna give me every month on patreon is the most is more money that I'm going to get from Spotify most probably if you're an independent artist and you're getting just a couple thousand spins on Spotify organically right and so explaining and educating your audience fan base on how far even a $3, $5 per month give means to you can make a profound difference. So so that's my best advice there is like making your fans understand that Every dollar counts. There's a there's a band um, that does a really really beautiful job with with talking to their fans and explaining. If you want to look them up on Patreon, called Cloud Cult, and um, I, I love the way that they've positioned their Patreon. They've done really really well on their Patreon, um, and because they're just so excellent at communicating um, why it's very important and even when i just google them as we're chatting i on twitter they they say like we have a special show and it's only exclusively for our patreon members so they're mm-hmm. consistently uh marketing to their patreon followers and it it's really working
0: i love it and that's such a perfect segue in patreon um probably one of the only like you know proper nouns I have that is a revenue stream. I mean, I haven't told them that yet, but I'm sure they'll love it. Um, so what I talk about in the book is if if you have a clear vision for your release, single, EP, opera, whatever, like go the pre-order route. But if you're just entering the studio and you don't have a clear vision, I really encourage people to set up a Patreon so that way, you know, fans can engage throughout the recording process as um, the project comes to fruition so tell us your thoughts on patreon
1: i love patreon i love them they're wonderful i love the whole it makes it very easy to set up recurring money from your fan base the other thing i this is the, the thing i actually really like about social media is when emily and i started out in the business you really had to know you know inside intel like to get I think about like all the things that that I learned from what our records and all the things that you learned from from Mike. This was stuff that only seasoned music veterans could teach you. Now, going to Patreon and spending one hour poking around on different pages and seeing what is working for people. And doing this on any social channel, what is working for your favorite bands on specific channels, is the best way to educate yourself. So Patreon is wonderful. Again, you need to have a newsletter or a text messaging list. You can't just magically set up a page there and expect everybody to come pay you. But if you are good at consistently releasing stuff, any kind of stuff, live streams, tracks, um, archived materials, Patreon can be a fabulous place to set up a portal for patrons to come and support you in an ongoing way. And it's just a fantastic platform.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm always the, can you do it yourself person? Um, so, you know, I did look into the numbers, like just sort of fan club via your website or something. I mean, the PayPal fees are, are comparable to Patreon. So, you know, fans are comfortable with Patreon. They know what it is. And I mean, and and if you get overwhelmed by all this stuff, which I totally understand, like maybe check out something different on Patreon. Like one of my yoga teachers is on Patreon and that's been like my lifesaver during the pandemic. Like I'm so happy to support her directly and I'm so happy to get that content directly. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a really amazing platform. Um, Awesome. Well, that's pretty much uh everything I have to ask about chapter 2, but I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you um again something I'm sorry, you've talked about many times, but you know, when I when I first met you, you were a publicist. So, tell us how PR has changed through through the years.
1: It's decimated. There is an amazing statistic that I love about publicity, and this goes for all all publicity across every discipline, which is for every one music journalist, or for every, sorry, for every one journalist, there are seven publicists. Right. So that's a problem. Um, And I've said this and said this, and I was one of the first traditional publicists to give up publicity because I realized early on for the type of artists that I serve, which is independent musicians, the, the whole traditional PR route, which very much does have its place in the zeitgeist of how you create and release and go for getting your music out there. It is important to try to shoot for the stars when the time is right. But unfortunately, um, publicity has changed. Obviously, there's no gatekeepers anymore. There's no magical list of, you know, special outlets. Again, the thing I love about social media and Patreon is the thing I also love about anything you're trying to get for yourself. Within a few keystrokes, you can pretty much get the email address And all of the social media channels for any music journalist, music blogger, daytime television, booker, radio station, programmer, podcaster, blogger, playlister, tastemaker, anyone. So... I am a huge proponent of not spending a tremendous amount of money on PR and Emily and I have had our private bitch sessions where we've hired the top publicists in the world and we are consistently um, wowed at the lack of result that that happens, even for artists that truly deserve results. That's just par for the course. So you no longer need some magical gatekeeper who has some special list that only they can communicate with the top people in your genre, tastemakers, however you want to call them. You can very much do your own PR, and I encourage you to do so. You can take my free music PR class. Just come to cyberprmusic.com and sign up right on the homepage. But publicity is changed, has changed. Most mere mortal musicians are not going to get on Rolling Stone and Pitchfork and NPR Tiny Desk. It's not going to happen. That is reserved for a very few and that's okay. There are countless outlets and appropriate outlets for all of us. You just have to understand where they are and how to get them.
0: Also, Rolling Stone's behind a paywall now. So, and I I don't blame them. I mean, obviously, it's just, you know, a whole new world for media but it's like I don't even know what that gets you anymore because it's like you get to post about it and then people are like oh it's behind a paywall bye like um well I talk a lot about sustainable PR in the chapter seven episode how to how to market with or without a budget so that's just a teaser and um Arielle said like basically everything I say in that chapter and like I Ariel, I was terrified for my publicist friends to read that chapter where I'm talking about the prices and email addresses and they all love it. I, which I'm shocked. I was like terrified to send certain people this book. They're like, no, like we, we really like, and I was like, but did you read what I said about your field? Like, so anyway, thank you for that insight. So anyway, thank you for that insight. Thanks again for listening to today's podcast episode, pre-recording marketing foundation with Arielle Hyatt of Cyber PR. Before we wrap up and I ask Ariel possibly the most fundamental question of this entire podcast, I just wanted to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle built by musicians for musicians. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website and EPK for your music. And just to add some editorial to that, I mean, obviously, there's plenty of website platforms out there, but it's so nice to work with one that's specifically designed for musicians and what you're doing. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates. So if you don't know how to code or you don't know graphic design, uh, like me, I'm saying I don't know graphic design at all. Um, It's nice to have those templates. Tools to sell your music and merch commission-free. That's super huge that it's commission-free. I don't know anyone else that does that. Commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features. That's also super nice because, again, I don't know any sort of crowdsource or subscription outlets um, that don't charge a commission. Mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters. Again, Arielle and I have talked a lot about that and we'll continue to talk about the power of email lists and direct-to-fan communication um, for long-term career sustainability. So that's built right into your Bandzoogle website. And integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and more, so you can easily add content from your other online profiles. And again, that's super nice. You know, you can sell your, your Bandcamp, your music via Bandcamp directly, embed your YouTube videos. I know artists really love Bands in Town for live shows, so that's all super handy. And I would say like fundamentally, you know, I don't want to say like more important than those other things, but they have live support from their musician friendly team seven days a week. So again, if you, if you have questions, it's really nice to talk to someone who understands what you're going through and not just like answering calls from, you know, people also building websites for the restaurants or whatever. Plans start at just $8.29 per month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams podcast listeners, that's you, can go to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code SUSTAINABLE, S-U-S-T-A-I-N-A-B-L-E, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code SUSTAINABLE. If you want to check the spelling, you, you can Google that word. So... Uh, Thanks again for listening. And we're going to wrap up this amazing conversation with Ariel right now. And finally, what does building a sustainable music career mean to you? That's such a good
1: question. It means, and we talked about this a little bit in the pre call, and I'm so happy that you just asked that. Like everything in 2020, and I think now, sadly, 2021, a lot of us are shifting our perspective on what we used to think of as success. I think we've talked about this a little bit during this very amazing interview where social media doesn't make us feel good a lot of the time. What it means to me is that you wake up in the morning and you feel in alignment with whatever it is, whatever that core reason is that you make your music. If it's to bring joy, if it's to bring enlightenment, if it's to bring compassion, if it's to make people dance on a dance floor and shake their butts, whatever your reason for making music. I think, I think a lot of sustainability is mindset because what, Emily teaches is there's no moment where you're going to stand at the top of the mountain and go I've made it like that's not it like for any of us in the grind and it is an exhausting grind an independent artist has any any artist even if you're signed there is this unfair amount of stuff that you have to learn that you have to do that you have to consistently do you have to do it well you have to do it right and you can never stop and that's exhausting so my my thinking around sustainable is are you in alignment with your true reason for doing it and whatever your form of success is if if a def- definition for success for you is that you got to play in front of x amount of people via live stream that's your sustainability. If it is that there is a monetary amount of money that is connected to how much art you make versus how much money you make on it, then that's sustainable. If you have a day job and you don't need to make money on your art, you just want to make it and share it because it's your golf, it's your hobby, it's the thing that calls for you and it just makes you happy and gives you joy to put music out into the world, however you do it, then that's your sustainable
0: amazing i love it um well thank you so much for your time today Ariel. i know how busy you are um please tell us where people can find you and where where they can hire you for your amazing services
1: i am cyber pr all over all the things except not snapchat as we've talked about and um cyber pr music is where you'll find um my articles my podcast our blog please come follow and And send me a message if you'd like to find out how you can work with us, cyberprmusic.com. There's a button right there that says work with us. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for everything you do for artists. I'm so excited that your book is going as well as it's going. And I'm so honored to be included.
0: Oh, thank you. And and seriously, follow Arielle on everything but Snapchat um, because she pours her heart out in giving away just all this incredible... Information. Um, I mean, I literally link to your website a few times in the book because um, I, I think I say it, I'm like, instead of just lifting Ariel's material, you can go over here and learn about um, Spotify playlists. So uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for being a guest. And that's a wrap uh, for today's episode, Chapter Two, Pre Recording Marketing Foundation, Email List, Text Message Club, and Social Media with the one and only Ariel Hyatt. Tune in next time um, for Chapter three, get your business affairs together in fair compensation with Donald S. Passman. So Ariel, thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Be well, everyone.